Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I am Frank, and I am joined by my great buddy AJ. How are you doing? Hello everyone, how are you this evening? Uh, I think everyone's probably doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, we are recording tonight on Tuesday, June 12th. Uh, this is, uh, kind of an in-betweener podcast for us. We had, uh, you know, a couple of big movies this summer. It's not even actually officially summer yet, but you know, that's how things work now. <laughs> and, you know, Dave Matthews band summer tours are on and it's, you know, got another week until first day of summer, which, uh, I don't know about you, but New York weather has been kind of okay the past week or so. Um, we had a little bit of rain, but as long as baseball can continue to happen, I'm holding out for tomorrow night. Um, I, I'm going to the game, and I hope it doesn't rain on me. But I hope I hope it doesn't rain on you. And I uh, also have been enjoying the New York weather of late. I find it to be one of the most perfect times of the year. Um, this and September. You know, when oh. we were kids growing up in New York, like we didn't get to appreciate what September was like. September, or June. Or June. Like, September is actually awesome. And when you're a kid, like, you just don't get to experience that because of fucking school. And even more so than that, you know, all of the routines that go along with that at the same time. Um, So today's episode is kind of, like Frank said, an in-betweener. So I want to take some time and kind of, you know, go over some stuff today. Uh, we've had some very nice activity, you know, on the Long Lost Hero social media accounts. We heavily and greatly appreciate everyone playing around with us. You know, we're really just trying to, uh, you know, team, uh, join in and experience, you know, our raw emotions as well. So we definitely appreciate it. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the places I would like to start with and just to kind of show you how, uh, you know, incredibly important it is that you guys give us uh, listener feedback. I want to, um, you know, speak to one of our uh, Instagram followers online uh, at Steady Ram. Um, you know, also Andrew Dot Sova. Uh, my name is also Andrew. I know I go by AJ, but it's you know very different. Wow, we've really had shocking some... everybody. Did he? <laughs> Did you know that AJ is actually Andrew? You know, some people don't know. They really don't, Frank. They really actually I, don't know. I I totally believe that. I'm <laughs> I'm just you know going along with the listeners here, and um, I am Frank, not Francesco or Francis or anything. Just just, just to clear the air. <laughs> just reg- just regular Frank. So. Let's start off where we, or, or, or let's start back up where we left off. And for right now, uh, in my mind, that, that's going to be to start with uh, some feedback we got from st- at SteadyRam on Instagram. So uh, I said that I would be responding to you, and I am. And I just want to kind of take a minute. This is going to kind of dive into some larger Star Wars stuff. So again... Um, If you haven't seen The Last Jedi or Solo, I don't know why you're listening to the podcast, let alone, um, you know, living life. I mean, what have you done? Why aren't you in the theater? Why didn't you go see Last Jedi? Why didn't you go see Solo? What the fuck are you doing? Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, Solo is only, it's less than a, has it been a month since it came out? No, not quite. So I, I 
get it, but you this can is be the... an, you can be an apologist for these home video assholes, but the real, <laughs> the realistic you know realism is if you haven't seen these movies, you didn't go to the theater, you didn't deal with what happened from Lucasfilm, and we didn't all move on. But uh, Frank, I ju- I just want to take some time because I responded to this off of my uh, own personal Instagram handle, so I didn't contaminate all of the uh, podcast stuff. And, and I think that one of the things we, again, want to reiterate here is that we are not necessarily doing movie reviews. Every time you see us post a podcast about a movie, it's a discussion. It's how we feel about it. It's just what it is. Like, I don't know if it's our job to point you in the direction of seeing good cinema. In my opinion, it's not. I think, personally, you guys can figure out, you know, what you guys need to see. If you want to see what we're seeing, which is usually the biggest thing that week, um, you know, we're happy to, you know, join the conversation along with you. Hang out with us in the back of the parking lot. You know, get down. Maybe 10 years ago, Frank would have smoked a joint with me and you. Today, I'll still smoke a joint with you. Instead, (laughs) now, we we have to have this podcast. So I just want to give that another... uh, 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 prelude, Clar- prelude? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I think uh, with in terms of discussion, it's like we're capturing our like a snapshot of how we feel about a, a film that we saw, and you know, like a lot of times that snapshot is the next day. Sometimes it's like two weeks later, and sometimes you know, it's like unfortunately we don't live in a vacuum, so we can't like we do our best to stay like free of uh, other reviews or other um, discussions before we podcast because we want to be as fresh as possible without having like too many uh, influencers. But, you know, I feel like that's the difference between a discussion and a review where it's like, okay, this is the standing review of, you know, long lost heroes. And like, this is what we think about it for all time. You know, we, we could go back and, you know, I've gone back and rewatched some of the movies that we covered last year. And it's like, yeah, I feel differently about them now than I did then. And so, we could have a whole nother discussion on it and on the merits and uh, the issues with them. So, yes, we are a discusser podcast, not necessarily a reviewer podcast. And um, but look, I think we should get to to um, Steady Ram's uh, actual tweet out, uh, or comment. Uh, do you want to read it out on air? How do you want to do it, bud? So more or less, I just want to read his second comment because I replied to his first comment on uh, Instagram already. I don't think we need to tread you know what? Let's tread that water right now. Sure. So, I think, so the first comment that Study Ram left said, I like Solo, despite all of the Kathleen Kennedy damage, I think Ron Howard was the only one to get it right, probably because he, unlike the others, learned from the Master Jedi, Lucas himself. So, the latter half of that statement, Mr. Ram, I completely agree with you. You know, the more we have George Lucas involved with Star Wars, I think in some ways the better. You know, we can all have the argument at this point as 30-year-old dudes about what the prequels mean to you. If they hurt your feelings, I'm really sorry for you. But if they are a big part of your childhood, as probably me and Frank would both agree, then, you know, it is what it is. And to have George Lucas do some, you know, AD work on Solo. Like, it's great to hear that. Um, but here's where I got to kind of begin to take a little bit of uh, offense. I don't think this is Kathleen Kennedy's fault. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to kind of take some time to re- explain why. Kathleen Kennedy joined her f- husband, Frank Marshall, 
and produced the Indiana Jones franchise with Steven Spielberg. Going forward from there, she's been attached to different movies such as Jurassic Park, such as E.T., such as uh, Schindler's List. We could go on and on and on. Kathleen Kennedy is the most uh, powerful and the most uh, one of the most uh, prolific and successful movie producers of all time. So I do not think that she is to blame, nor do I think she should go. I pray and e- I pray every day that she stays because I think she's actually taking Star Wars in a different direction. Um, so I, I kind of want to rebut his original statement, which is what I said, which was Kathleen Kennedy damage or Lord Miller damage. I realize she's a polarizing figure, but she didn't almost lead a Star Wars movie to failure. She's one of the most successful producers of all time, period. Say what you want about firing some of the directors she needed for our benefit and to control the overall look and feel of the franchise. And to kind of explain what I meant there, uh, ultimately, uh, unlike Marvel, you know, Star Wars always had just one writer. It had one guy pointing everyone in the different directions. Whereas for Marvel, you know, you had different writers... You know, we're pulling very much from the Jim Starlin uh, Infinity Gauntlet right now. You know, there's other Jack Kirby characters that exist. There's Stan Lee characters. Everyone kind of has their influence. But when you look at it as, you know, kind of George Lucas, he really is the main guy. But how could we ever fault, you know, the, the look of a Star Wars film to the fans? You know, I think that... Something that Rogue One and I totally agree that Solo capture is the look and feel of the classic trilogy, the original trilogy, that unfortunately I don't think is captured in the prequels with all of the digital photography. Um, and, and this is just a technical issue. And it's something that's very easily seen and very easily dealt with. And it's something that J.J. Abrams on the first on Force Awakens was extremely adamant about, is that we are going back to film... We are getting away from the digital. We are retaining the original look and feel of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I mean, a ton down back there. Like, um, I agree with you that I don't think the blame should be placed on Kathleen Kennedy. And, and like, sure, there's, there's a financial um, dip here in, in terms of, like, success for them in this movie. And um, that was something we talked about last week. But... Uh, ultimately i think the quality of the film is still pretty up there and like the difference between um marvel and star wars is pretty clear in that like you're right the whether or not um the marvel movies are are adapting specific stories from the comics like they have and they and some are original they're still adapting characters and um taking story arcs and um character development arcs uh, from the comic books. So they have something to kind of look to. Um, and so you have a lot of different uh, players in there, whether, you know, it was someone that wrote uh, back in the sixties or the eighties or the nineties, whatever it may be. You've got cartoon adaptations. You have um, other, other books, other films. Um, and then you have the, the writers of the, the movie itself to, to look to as uh, ones that are adapting you know, a character. And so I think the difference here is that when, when they wiped the slate clean for star Wars, they, they said, okay, 
all of the the older stuff that's not the films, not the television shows, is no longer canon. You know, we could debate that to the end of the, the earth, uh, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, but um, that's what they decided to do. And so that meant that they were no longer able to look to those uh, uh, books and video games and comic books as uh, material to adapt from. Now, we have gotten little seeds of things from here and there, um, but you're right. Like, George Lucas is, is so central to to what star Wars is and to have his influence again in, in a movie where he's kind of taken a step back for the past couple of years. And, you know, he's infamously, uh, you know, disliked the force awakens. And, um, I think he, if I remember correctly, he did enjoy bits of last Jedi and and the direction they were taking there. But I, I feel like his overall response to solo was positive. Um, and obviously he had a hand in it. So I, you know, I, I think that, Kathleen Kennedy is um, is not Kevin Feige. Um, she never was going to be Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige didn't really... His impact on the Marvel movies uh, started to happen after she was already in place and working on, on, on the Star Wars films. And, and so, like, they're working in tandem. I don't think that it's necessarily like, oh, they need to copy the Marvel method because they're doing their own thing and they are really creating brand new stories. Um, and... And, and not necessarily adapting things from the comics like Feige is doing. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, my opinion is that Disney has seen the Feige method. They know that having a continuous look and storyline to their films is an added value to the franchise. That by even... Like, uh, there's a great YouTube channel. I, I, I really don't... I forget his name. I hope that we'll be able to add him to the show notes later. But ultimately, he has a great uh, YouTube film. It's like 11 minutes long about the color palette of Marvel and how the colors of the films, of the way that the cinematography is ultimately colored, is the same and that it's designed to do that in the same way that I think Star Wars is kind of meant to do that. So I just kind of want to emphasize a little bit more that I don't think Kenf- uh, excuse me I do not think Kathleen Kennedy is the problem. More or less, I feel like Lord and Miller uh, were fucking around. They obviously were not producing the quality or caliber Star Wars film that Kathleen Kennedy felt was necessary. She stepped in. And brought in an Academy Award winning all-time Hollywood royalty director could bring to this franchise. And I really just don't understand the hostility towards her. And I don't understand the hostility towards her involvement. Um, To me, I think that she is a, a guiding force. I think it's interesting that she wanted to come in and kind of direct this in a way that was catered to us, which is, of course, what they want to do, but something that she could actually deliver on and mean when she says. She is, you know, if you can look at Force Awakens for the pure fan service that it is, but I think that Solo does something different. And ultimately, I don't think that she's heavy-handed in Star Wars. I really don't think that. I think that something that Kathleen Kennedy has been able to do, which is separate from Marvel in a lot of ways, is that she's been able to have 
directors who come in and have a creative idea. I think that for Kathleen Kennedy to let Ryan Johnson make Last Jedi, before even the idea of, like, wow, like, look at all the decisions and directions he's going to go in. Like, he's going to do this? Wow. Like, to me, I, I don't know if it's necessarily Kennedy. I think it's actually the freedom that she has given the directors that she's hired yeah. because of her caliber in the industry. That she is such a good producer, and she has known Spielberg and these other amazing blockbuster-driven uh, producers ha- have been, that she feels comfortable in this wheelhouse to hire the correct people to steer towards these movies that produce this kind of movie. I, I don't agree that there's any ignorance on her part that she said anything that uh, you know burned her uh, steady ram. I really just don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. Like, she is definitely uh, a step back as from a as a producer level. Like, I, I don't think you see her. Um, and I apologize if I for my ignorance here. Like, I don't think you see her necessarily on the red carpet talking about all the details and the answers and the you know the nitty gritty of all the characters and all that. Like, like Feige, where Feige is super involved. He's like you know, helping plan out the arc for the next uh, 10 years. I think she's in there. I think she's in the room, but I do think that they're going a little bit more movie to movie and letting the director uh, have more of an influence on the direction that the story goes versus like Marvel where it's, you've got your, your, your McFeely and Marcus, right. That are writing a lot of these movies and are kind of, steering the ship in that way because like of, of the way the Marvel movies are being written as a of part of a series um, where you don't have that consistent right now again this may be wrong and this may be like uh, in, in 10 years from now we may we may say oh man I wish that there was one person that was writing all the Star Wars films or maybe um, you know going back to that Lucas mindset will benefit it but I, I think from an individual standpoint, each movie has had its own successes, its own failures. I don't think that any or all blame should be placed on Kennedy. I think she, um, I, I wonder how, not necessarily that she needs to, to go. I just wonder if, if this is more of like a stepping stone for the, like to, um, foster someone young and, and new and fresh to kind of guide these things along. Um, I mean, I think Marvel is like really the only example that's doing that. Like how many times have we talked about DC and like the fact that they don't have one figurehead kind of steering that ship. And like, I I don't know if that necessarily needs to be the case for everything. I don't know if we need to have, you know, um, this like Star Wars cinematic universe because like it, it leads to so much homework. Whereas like in Marvel, at least it's only the past 10 years of movies, but like for Star Wars, we're going back to 1977, and like if and and I think they're trying to give it as much of a soft reboot, and be like, okay, if you haven't seen the original movies, if you haven't seen the prequels, like you're gonna still get a lot of that. They're doing prequel stories now. They're doing brand new stories now. They have a lot of other things in the docket that are trying to like fill out the Star Wars universe without necessarily feeling like they have to tie themselves down to be like, okay, and like now you have to go watch. 
a new hope, like, you know, right after seeing solo or something like that. I think that for the hardcore fans, you can do that, but I, I don't know if you necessarily need that, like, all right, turn the next page in the comic book kind of thing. Um, anyway, I feel, I feel you, but at the same time, we, we do need that, you know? And one of the things that's like interesting, like that I've even thought about like lately, like, and this is just, you know, me scooting around, riding around New York City, listening to weird music. It's like, huh, well, you know, Lando piloted the Millennium Falcon in uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, and then like 15 minutes will pass by and it's like, oh, well, that's why he says, come on, baby, hold together. But, oh, man, like, oh, man, like he's really talking with L3, like, like it's it's nuts. Uh, but even more so than that, you know, I, I, I just want to respond to this last bit from Steady Ram because, you know, I, first of all, I so appreciate that you're commenting on our Instagram. Like, it's awesome. Thank you. Please, you can do it again. Whatever. I don't care if you have the wrong opinion or not. It's not important to me. Ultimately, uh, I, I just want to say that I don't think that uh, Last Jedi t- checks off boxes. Um, I don't know where that comes from from you. Uh, ultimately, when I watched Last Jedi again, after going through all the special features on the on the Blu-ray, uh, I just I love Ryan Johnson. I can't believe that he loved Star Wars that much and knew that much about Star Wars to draw from all of the existing canon or pre-existing canon that you used to love and adore. He did a a pretty magical job. And in my opinion, I don't think it checks off boxes. I don't think Black Panther checks, checks off boxes. And I think that ultimately The Last Jedi, you know, side quest aside, um, you know... With side quest withstanding, it still holds up and it changes Star Wars. And I think that that's the main thing is that we're we're dealing with a new line of movies that are going to challenge what we already know. A twelve year old kid going to see Solo, a Star Wars story, is going to be blown away by that movie because it syncs up with the effects and the way movies are made today. It moves quickly. It's light on its feet. It doesn't spend a lot of time following characters walk through an alley. It really just kind of tells you the story of everything you need to know about Han Solo. So as a 12-year-old kid, holy shit, like this is a movie I can relate to. Right. And then, and then you're on to the next thing. And, yeah, and that's something I mean, that's... I think... Sorry, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say that like having Solo come out now it is is important for a 12 year old kid because if they've only seen the force awakens and last Jedi, yeah. Like they, they maybe were like, Oh man, that Han Solo character from the first movie. And then he was killed. Like it, it gives them the opportunity. Cause like kids these days, they don't have the attention span to go back and watch a new hope. Like you, you really need like them to sit through something that, is going to be hard for them because it's, you know, a movie from way, way... I mean, this movie is before we were born, and, like, movies are just so different now. So it's, like, just give them that context. And, like, I think that's the thing. It's, like, they're making Star Wars for everybody, 
and there are so many different fans out there and i feel like this is going to kind of help us transition into our next topic but there are so many different kinds of fans out there there are the, the star wars fans that were kids when it was 70 uh, came out in 77 there were star wars fans when there were no star wars movies uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was the, the Star Wars fans like us that had the prequels to grow up with. And now there are kids that are growing up with these as their first movies. Um, and they are trying to cater to everybody. And so, unfortunately, not everyone is going to be happy uh, with every single decision. And I, I think we just need to be able to see the positives and the negatives in all the films and, like, champion the fact that we have this amazing universe that is still moving forward and um it's it's something that from the vision of george lucas is still continuing on so many years later i'm going to change your rhetoric and i just want to just change this just a little bit because i was thinking about this pretty hard star wars isn't for everyone star wars is for you i Mm. think that if you relate to star wars if you feel if you feel the calling of being in a place you don't understand with abilities you can't comprehend in a place that you don't know how to get out of, then Star Wars relates to you. If you feel like you're you you're just been in it and everything is fucked and you don't know how the world is magical anymore or how things are going to happen, Star Wars is for you. If you don't believe in fantastical aliens or crazy powers or things that are beyond your control... Star Wars is for you. And I don't want people to mistake the idea that they're what they're trying to say, which is I think you're wrong. I think you're right. I think they're trying to say Star Wars is for everyone. Unfortunately, Star Wars was never for everyone. No. Uh, even even <laughs> Freddie Mercury. Even motherfucking Freddie Mercury. He's like, I don't like Star Wars in bicycle <laughs> race. Because not everybody likes Star Wars. But if you like Star Wars, Star Wars can be for you. Yeah. And I think that for as much as we appreciate the comments, we're not going to bash Kathleen Kennedy. We're not going to bash her views. And we're going to be continue to be fans of these movies and keep on keeping on. Frank. We really appreciate the conversation and having a dialogue, an open dialogue with everybody that listens. We love getting that feedback and, um, you know, we may disagree with you, but we just let you know we're not doing it out of any sense of shame or anything like that. We want to hear your voices and your opinions so we can respond to it and have our own uh, opinions uh, you know, back at you. And just being able to have that open dialogue of why we love Star Wars and we want to know why you love Star Wars or whatever we're talking about. Anyway. So, um, in terms of other star wars related news um are, are, did you want to talk about the unfortunate um kelly marie tran news that's been going on you know i do so uh ooh. Ooh. for uh, everyone that doesn't remember kelly marie tran is rose tico is rose, is rose tico in the last from- jedi She's yeah. guarding the bay, and then you. She's most well known for pretty much being along for the side quest in Last Jedi. Uh, okay, so she deleted her Instagrams. She didn't delete her Instagram. She didn't delete her uh, account. She deleted her actual content that she posted 
that she was trying to share her experience with the world with you. First of all, that's fucked. Second of all, she deserves better. Third and finally, Star Wars fans do not get to be toxic. Here's why. Star Wars is not some right-wing fascist myth about white people. It is absolutely not. It is a tale about what what it is like to be on the other end of the universe and to experience trouble with your family and how you deal with it and how families move forward and how heroes are born and how kids can understand and appreciate mythology. It has nothing to do with your bullshit. And to see Kelly Marie Tran bullied off of Instagram by content is a sad state of affairs for the fandom that we all claim to be in. I think that the idea, something Joe Mazzariello said the other day, is that uh, we don't get to... Fandom is maybe a bad word. Maybe we're not a part of fandoms. Maybe we just like things. Maybe it's bad to make things that you love part of your identity. Uh, I don't know about that. I think that there are some people who are greatly informed to the things that they love, and I don't want to deny anybody the experience of you know, getting to relish and appreciate and celebrate the thing that they love. I think that that's more important. But I, I'm pissed, and I'm pissed at us as a fandom that this happened and that this person who adds to Star Wars un- unquestionably she is the voice of the audience in a way that Obi-Wan at times in a way that Leia at times in a way that uh, you know Han at times is able to relate and I think that something that we lost in the re- in the Marvel movies that has translated to Star Wars movies is they're very serious the jokes are there, but they're they're dreadfully serious to a fault. And to have Kelly Marie Tran play Rose Tico, a kick-ass character, and kind of portray our experience riding through uh, Last Jedi and to hate her and bully her off Instagram is horrible. I'm pissed. She deserves better, and it's not okay. Yeah, I, and it, it's not okay, and, you know, it. this isn't the first time that um, an actress or um, someone in in the industry has been bullied like this. Um, I think even uh, Daisy Ridley at one point, I think she is no longer on Twitter or, or Instagram. And like, it's just unfortunate that, that the, the thing that they, they become a part of and that they're excited to become a part of, and they have such a huge influence over and there are so many, I mean, I just think back to like in the, you know, initial marketing or, or, or the stories around Force Awakens and how many young girls were, you know, so excited to be dressed up as Rey. And like, I'm sure the same thing happened a- after uh, Last Jedi. Like you've got even more powerful female characters to, to relate to. Um, I'm sure there are, you know, Asian children that are you know, excited to have a, a exciting character like Rose to, to see themselves in. Um, and it's just a shame that there are so many positive stories out of this and that, that they, they feel like they are so bullied and that they, that they're, 
they cannot uh i mean it's just uh, social media is a toxic place unfortunately um and you know we obviously occupy that space as well um as uh our podcast lives on the channels um and we we haven't had any anything negative but we it's so it's so sad and I, I agree with you it makes me very angry that you know that people could do this to her um because it you know moving forward it's like what does this mean like how, it does, is her relationship with star wars tainted now and her you know excitement to to be a part of these films is it, it like is she no does she not want to be because of what happened and like it just it's just not fair and it, you know it, and i'm speaking from someone that literally today at work had a three-hour session on oppression <laughs> like this is very much in you know in the world in the workplace in you know how much they're just training us on all these different concepts of racism and uh sexism and ageism and um ableism and just how you know so many people are um privileged and they don't even know they're privileged but the fact that some people take that uh, the lens of social media because they're not speaking face to face with someone that they have the ability to be in a way anonymous and just like attack others is just so shameful. And it, I, I don't know. I, it's really, really sad. And I, I, I hate to be so down, but like, you know, we, we love Star Wars and we love the, the people that make these movies and we... We want to be as supportive as we can, and we want to be the ones to help champions the, the positive experiences out of this and and really help um, signify when things are wrong and you know call out the people that are doing the wrong thing. I cannot agree with you more, my friend. Really. Uh, I think you really put it beautifully and eloquently, and, and I appreciate your words and and I hope that the people who, if you are listening to our podcast and you bullied Rose Tico, first of all, unsubscribe. Fuck you. Uh, second, um, you know, I hope you feel bad. Um, and now a word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know anybody who's homeless? Do you know anybody who's a veteran? Please think about this for a hot goddamn minute. My parents, Lonnie and Susan Sherman, have been working for over 10 years to help the homeless veteran community on Long Island. Unfortunately, there are so many homeless veterans that, you know, have uh, without the that are without the means of going about the you know uh, ways to get themselves situated. They don't have the ability to get themselves a suit or get themselves working clothes or get themselves what they need and get themselves the training they need to get back into the workforce. However. You can be a significant part of their help and rehabilitation. And I would encourage you to visit generalneeds.org, which is a charity that my parents uh, have been running for many years, and donate and uh, give to them because pretty much what you're going to do is give money to my parents to allow them to uh, bring in uh, some new uh, T-shirts, socks, underwear that, you know, unfortunately these men and women are unable to get. As a, you know, a homeless person or somebody who's, you know, within need, you know, you can go get a very cheap sweatshirt or a very cheap pair of pants or a suit from the Salvation Army, but most of the time you can't get new in-the-box underwear, socks, t-shirts, 
hygienic equipment. So we make that available. So please go give them some love. Show them you care because it is incredibly valuable to the community that these people are taken care of and that, you know, we honor the way that their, uh, you know, their service was given to our country back to them. Uh, and if you can, it is going to be generalneeds.org. Uh, you can donate there. You can find other ways to get involved. And uh, we appreciate uh, any help that you're going to give. Uh, and now, uh, after our first ad break, uh, <laughs> Frank, uh, what's next on the docket today, sir? So um, I just wanted to have, a, a as I'm sitting in my, um, my man cave slash arcade slash... Uh, recording studio uh just a reminder to everyone that the wondrous uh events of e3 have been upon us the electronic entertainment expo in los angeles um a lot of great news uh, uh related to video games uh whether you're a sony micro microsoft nintendo uh fan or you know you follow specific uh different video game developers there's tons of news out there um, i'm super excited this morning was the nintendo conference and unfortunately like i mentioned earlier i was working and in, in an, a, an oppression seminar so i haven't di dived in as much as i wanted to but there's a new super smash brothers game coming out this fall december 6th or 7th called super smash brothers ultimate i'm so excited um there's even more news coming out like i i'm i'm a switch fan as you guys have already heard, there's other great... I know there's a new Star Wars game coming out on um, the other consoles. It's uh, Star Wars like Fallen Jedi or something, and it sounds really awesome. I think it's set in between Episodes 3 and 4. Uh, and I can only imagine you're a Jedi that uh, no longer has the luxury of being part of the Jedi Order, and you're probably being hunted by Palpatine. Um so there's a lot of cool news out there. I'm not going to recommend a specific place for you to go find it, but if you're a video game fan, maybe go over to our buddies at the Game Brew. I'm sure they're going to be covering things. Um, but I'm excited. I can't wait to dive back in. And um, other than that, I want to transition. So you and I saw um, a movie this weekend, kind of spur of the moment, kind of maybe a little bit out of our normal um, purview purview um but i will argue that is definitely a sci-fi film and so i think it fits um but it's not something that we've been tracking it's not something that i even really knew about uh i hadn't even seen a trailer before going in and so this is probably the freshest i went into a film in years uh so we saw hotel artemis uh the new film written directed by drew pierce um, and starring Jodie Foster, Sterling K. Brown, Dave Bautista, uh, Sophia Botella, Charlie Day, a couple of others in there. Um, uh, Jeff motherfucking Goldblum! <laughs> <laughs> so um, this was, uh, you know, so, I don't know. I, I don't want to dive too deep. Like, I guess we, we can put up a spoiler warning if you've seen Hotel Armors or not. Um, it's... It's a fun ride. Um, it's set in a new world that, or set a little bit into the future. Um, brand new story. Um, you know, something that we don't get too often. We're always going to see sequels and franchise films. So it was very refreshing to have something like that. Um, but yeah, the premise is that this, this hotel uh, is really a hospital for criminals set in 2028 
when there's these massive LA riots going on and um, you follow the central character Jodie Foster plays as the nurse and all the uh, new people that are coming into the hotel to get help um, and to the, who are all criminals um, and sort of everything boils to a head and you've got these really interesting characters um, that uh, I, I think probably aren't as developed as maybe we would have liked, but I don't know. What were your initial thoughts coming out of this movie? Uh, first of all, I thought it was uh, really unique and pretty fun. Um, it didn't go in some of the places I thought it was going to go, but it also it didn't surprise me in some ways. Like I, I was kind of hoping for some kind of you know, with a lot of the movies that we see, and, and I hate to reference the other franchise movies, you're hoping for the Darth Vader in the hallway, spark the lightsaber at the end of Rogue One kind of moment. And I was really hoping for a Dave Bautista fight scene that was going to give me five minutes of just unadulterated, pure, ridiculous, just rage. And, you know, while that doesn't necessarily happen, this movie is unique onto itself. And I think... Uh, really lays the groundwork to be a fun place to uh, talk around and be around in. And I loved the art direction. I loved the stylization. I thought the cinematography was really fun. I enjoyed being in a kind of a confined space for a movie. So many of the movies that we see, just because they have to play globally, yeah. take place on a global scale. They don't necessarily need to, but because... These movies have to play in China, and they have to play in Germany, and they have to play in England, and they have to play in South Africa. Uh, you know, that you have to show everybody what they're looking at and be able to, you know, relate to them, you know, uh, stylistically. Uh, beyond that, uh, I just want to say how much fun I thought Jodie Foster was having in this movie. I just, she looked like she was having an absolute blast, and I hope that she comes around and does a Marvel movie or, uh, you know, jumps into Star Wars or maybe ends up in the next Jurassic Park. Like, I just think that maybe her amazing level of being an actress and, and the amazing talent that she brings, that uh, she can absolutely hang with the best of them in these kind of fun character-driven roles and be effective. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's something... I, I loved her, That was and that was the, my main takeaway. I agree, and I think she hasn't really. I think she hadn't done a film in a couple of years, um, and so it's really interesting for her to come back into something that is so character driven and like, like she she's not playing to her type necessarily. I guess is what more of what I'm thinking, and you know, um, she's it, it was very interesting, and yeah, I think the the biggest thing that for me that I came out of it was curiosity about the, about the setting and learning more about you know what it's like to live in 2028 with like hell i mean that the technology that they have is like ridiculous for it only to be like 10 years away so like there's some sort of like alternate reality thing going on that i feel like is really cool that, that would be worthy of exploring um yeah and all and just like I guess a little bit with all these characters. And it, I, I think the thing that uh, about it is so cool is like, you have this concept that it, it plays almost like a bottle episode of like one of your favorite shows where they like, everyone is locked in the spaceship and they can't get out because something's happening. And like, 
some of those episodes of, t- of your favorite TV shows are some of the best ones because that's when you really drive in and dig into some of these characters. Um, I think this, this film, in an interesting way, could have almost been like a Netflix TV series that like could have dove deeper into some characters. And, and I, I want to know more about it all, but I don't think we ever will. And I think that needs to be okay. And I think we need to, I personally need to get away from this idea of like everything needing to be a franchise or uh, a show or, or whatever. Um, I think this movie only clocked in at like an hour and 30 minutes. So it was pretty short too. Um, So I don't know. I had fun. I I think um, maybe you and I enjoyed it a little bit more than maybe our buddy Danny did. Um, But I think uh, Danny Silverberg Finally, it is 8.17. You need to be on the podcast. You should have been on the <laughs> podcast talking about the, uh, this with us. Frank and I both agree it is goddamn time for you to be on. You've listened to these shows. If this is playing into your car right now as you're driving around. I hope I you're hope- blushing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I, I think first of all, I was excited that Danny wanted to see this movie because... Sometimes I need a little bit of nudging to go see some OC, some original content. And I just felt like this movie, it was new. Yeah. It was kind of fun. It kind of felt like, uh, as a guy who works in healthcare adjacently, I don't necessarily help people or heal them, but I uh, am in the business of doing so, if that that's weird. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, it was cool to see where they took the evolution of the technology that we have. Uh, you know, if you know about what the Da Vinci robot is, then you know how uh, integral and how uh, crazily it has changed the whole surgical market right now and that people are, uh, you know, able to do things and automation is able to allow for operations and 3D printing. Hell, I was at a conference just today where they're printing tissue right there, Frank. Like, they are bone, uh, you know, they're able to print uh, cartilage, and they were able to print tissue. They're That's able to nuts. Print, they're able to print hearts. They're printing muscle tissue right there. Uh, that's it, it, That technology is coming. Uh, I appreciated the way that they kind of showed it. I thought it was interesting to show kind of how in the way that... Uh, they showed insurance, you know, you have to be a member of this crazy mob, uh, you know, conglomerate in order to have access to the best health care. I thought that was a very funny narrative and a metaphor for the way that people receive health care now. Um, and that it really shows how the healthcare system nickels and dimes you for every piece of equipment that you consume. Um, and I, I, I dug it on that level. Uh, yeah, so that was it. That was that was fun to see too. Uh, Sterling K. Brown, um, yes, dude, do some fun movies, like please, like you're fantastic. He's the awesome. Role that you, he was really incredible. Like, fuck Idris Elba. Like, get this guy to be Bond. Like tomorrow. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, he's, he needs like, to be a leading he, man. He, he's ready to be leading Sterling man Sterling K. Brown can be James Bond. He is young. He is intense. He is fierce. He is ready. Like, I am down. I am. I ship it tomorrow that 
if the, that if Daniel Craig reneges out of whatever the next Bond movie is, they should totally go with Sterling K. Brown and not Idris Elba. Sterling K. Brown will learn the English accent and then some. Well, I mean, again, I think this goes back to like this whole idea of original content. Like, maybe he doesn't need to be Bond. Maybe he just needs to have a brand new action franchise surrounded him because like think about like the John Wick movies those things have have spread out and have been very successful with a brand new idea I, I saw a lot of comparisons between this movie um, uh, Hotel Artemis and John Wick so like just put him in a role that like lets him like really dig into some character work some action um, you know he was awesome in Black Panther like I, I just want to see more of him and like I know people love him from This Is Us, so like he's got such a huge range. Um, I yeah, he he's but one even of, still like like Black Panther, like it was a cultural phenomenon, and he had a really kind of a cameo part, if you will. Yeah. But uh, you know, he could have been the the Forrest Whitaker role in that movie. Like he can he can really carry more, and I hope that he gets some more stuff. Like we are fans, we are in like. Throw him in. Throw him in the next Aliens movie. Throw him. In, throw him in Jurassic Park three with Colin Trevorrow, or get or give him some new kind of badass spy guy to be. Like, I don't care. I I'm down. I I loved him. Uh, he he was great. I loved the, the brother scene. I loved the tech. What else? Uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, man. Like ba- basically a. a cameo in this movie but like oh but but even but think about like the the last few years he's had independence day 2 thor ragnarok this motherfucking movie uh jurassic uh jurassic world 2 which is about to come out like this motherfucker is working like he is he is down the gold bloom renaissance (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> give him some kind of mob boss movie. Give him something cool. Like, why? Can't, like, it was cool to see the cameo in this one, but holy shit, he could have really played around with this for an hour and a half, two hours. Like, yeah, I'm man. down. He was so he was good. Zachary Quinto, I thought it, he's such a good actor. It was weird to see him acting. I'm sorry, Zach. Uh, your Spock seems effortless. It seems like you were laboring a bit with this movie um, to be a little more aggressive than you usually are. I'm sorry about that. Um, Charlie Day, I didn't love you. I'm sorry. Uh, I thought you were a great comic relief in Pacific Rim, but you didn't carry that over here and had a different role. I wish that they had cast somebody else in this who was more believable, like a John Hamm or uh, somebody yeah. who could be more more uh easily convincibly con- uh, perceived as a boss type figure i never felt that charlie day was a threat yeah i agree i think he's he's always and it's unfortunate for him he's played to type where he's like or cast to type that he's a comedic character and like this character had a lot of comedic moments but he needed to be a little bit more serious and whenever he was serious i never really bought it um so yeah, you could have someone that's very serious that can be funny, and like I think you it would have worked a little bit better. Um, so yeah, I, I, 
we're getting a, a little bit long and I think we have like one more topic that we'd like to cover. Um, so uh, do you have any final thoughts on hotel Artemis? Uh, go check it out. If you, uh, I, I think it's a good movie and I think that it's cool that it came out. It didn't make a ton of money, but that's okay. Um, I am definitely excited to see, uh, some more original content that we saw in the openings of the trailers of that movie and uh i you know that's it's kind of encouraging to see that other people have good ideas and they're getting their movies made yeah i I agree i think it's interesting like whenever we go to the blockbuster movies we see the same trailers over and over again for other blockbuster movies so like to go something like this you see other films that are being made and um i think maybe this movie would have benefited uh from coming out in like march or or February or something like that. It would have killed. Little... It would have killed if it had a little bit of space. Yeah, because it's right in the, ma- in the smack in the middle of a lot of other things. Like I didn't even like I said I didn't even know it was coming out. Like I was like, oh yeah, Ocean's Eight is coming out this weekend. Let's go see that. And it's like, oh wait, no, that that's not what we're going to see. Cool. Um, so anyway, yeah, go see Hotel Artemis. It's a fun ride. Um, so last topic for today, we wanted to kind of go over. The new uh, Dave Matthews Band album, Come Tomorrow. Um, so I this past weekend was the, the concert I traditionally go to in uh, Virginia, in Bristow. And so I wanted to shout out to Caleb Copper and David Evans and Cameron Hulston, who all, pro- all went. And some of you listened. Danny Finati, you were there. Casey, hope you guys had a good time. I'm really glad I wasn't there. <laughs> Because it sounded miserable with all the weather delays and uh, a short show. Uh, but I think it just reinforces the fact that we still all love Dave Matthews and we want to go see him this summer. And there's back coming out. But um, so that show. And we'll be there if it goddamn rains in Spack. So don't jinx us for the fucking show that it's going <laughs> to rain and be miserable at Spack because even if it is. We will be out there. We never wear sand. Nobody ever wears sandals to spec. That has been a rule for over ten years. You can't. You you're can't, gonna lose your shoes. You're gonna lose you're your goddamn shoes. You gotta go in there. You gotta be prepared. You gotta be comfortable. The weather is gonna change. You're out there at the ET mothership waiting to be abducted by Dave, and that is all you get to do. So, so. yeah, I'm down. Um, okay, yeah. So we listen to this record. Um, uh, Frank, you're. Th- Let's just give you a little bit more preface because I don't know if our listeners know this, but you were a music major in school. You are a, uh, in, and by school I mean college. That you have a degree in music. That you are an incredibly talented uh, technical musician of the trombone. Um, you also dabble in the electric bass. Because uh, bass clef is just pretty much your life. I don't, I don't mean to say <laughs> that that's rude, but that's kind of where you live. Uh, Ed, uh, you're always holding me down, and you know, you you know music well. Like to our listeners, and you also went to uh, uh, JMU, which I believe is where Leroy was teaching, right? I believe he has taught there. Um, a lot of them because they're from Charlottesville, have had other roles at UVA. Um, but, yeah, I do think there is a tie to the band to JMU a little bit, too. So 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I've seen them in Charlottesville, which was really rad. And obviously there was the, the concert, uh, last year in Charlottesville. So Virginia is their home and it's a shame that this past weekend had so many issues, but, but yeah, and I, I, I still work in the arts. So, um, I am a music guy, but you know, I, I don't necessarily identify myself with that so much uh, anymore. Uh, just because I have so many other interests that I like, and uh, you know, we talk about all this stuff on the podcast, but I do love Dave Matthews and I do love music. Um, and so but I it's just not, want... it's, it's not about that you, you are out there. It's, it's not about out there touring. Nobody's looking for your dates. I'm no, saying no, no, no. you're, you are, you have legit credentials. You are a credentialed correspondent of the Long Lost Heroes podcast, <laughs> to to which I ask you, my friend, uh, and m- you know my colleague, that what did you think of this record, and can you give me and our listeners an insight into you know whether or not they should pick it up? Okay, so um, really quick before I get into the the depth of the the musicality of the album, um, I just wanted to speak briefly to the like the actual physical copy. So I I ordered. I'm still a member of the Dave Matthews Band Warehouse, and um, I ordered a hard copy of the CD um, and I pre-ordered it. So I got a bonus disc, which I still haven't listened to. It's a bunch of live songs from the past like. 20 years which is pretty rad um and there's some awesome artwork um which if you've seen any of the uh new tracks uh they all have these visualization uh videos like if you've listened to samurai cop or that girl is you they have basically uh some of the artwork um i i like this artwork a lot and i like the black and white i think it's really cool I have to say I am underwhelmed with the entirety of the package and um, from someone that's actually pre-ordered and and purchased CDs for Dave over the past 10 years with like Big Whiskey and come, um, Away From The World, those packages were way more fleshed out. I don't know if it's just because it's 2018 and not a lot of people buy CDs anymore, but like even six years ago, that that one came with a lot of art and uh, it was bigger package and um i just i'm a little underwhelmed basically it's the the booklet it's got the lyrics and the cd and that's it there's nothing else um no special dvd uh anything like that so that's fine because i think this in this album i've listened to several times now um is really growing on me um it's uh really beautiful musically and like there, there are a lot of songs on here that um, speak a little bit more to, uh, like, I, I think that that's, that's a hard thing to decipher and that there's some really beautiful music on here, but, like, is it necessarily something you would expect from the Dave Matthews Band? And I think the answer to the latter question is no, um, which is good and bad. And I think, you know, you're your hardcore fans that have been listening to Dave Matthews since, you know, 1994 um, and, you know, Storm tour in like the early 2000s and everything and was used to the jam band vibe. Um, this is not your album. This, this album here is very mature. It has so many roots in jazz and 
um, blues and um, it's more, I don't know, alt rock in a way. There are a lot of songs that are softer and thoughtful. Um, the the chord progressions are still as complex as ever that uh, from Dave, we all know, like it, he doesn't do the standard like power chord kind of thing. Um, but there are a lot of songs that have jumped out to me that um, I really like. I think the hard thing about this one, um, so there's two songs on here that were written back in like 2006, I want to say, Can't Stop, The Idea of You. Um, and so while I love those songs, I, I can't help but feel like they're a little bit out of place. Um, there are a lot of other songs that they've been writing over the past several years that they've introduced on tour uh, since um, in, bet in between Away From the World and this record. So they're not necessarily new. They're not necessarily old. They're just kind of like um, frequent uh, staples in their live concert catalog, like uh, Virginia in the Rain, Black and Bluebird. Um, and then to a degree, a little bit with Samurai Cop because that's kind of more recent. And then um, again and again, which is also known as Bob Law. Um, and so to me, as a whole, the album works really well. I don't know if it's necessarily as much of a concept album as, say, um, and I guess concept album's not um, the best term because like that is more like related to things like Pink Floyd or or um, Rush or something like that. But the idea that the album itself has a theme and that there's a, a clear message that you're coming away with, and, and maybe it's going to take more uh, uh, listens for, for me to really get it. Um, but this album feels a little bit more of a kind of compilation of like things that Dave's been working on and the band has been working on over the past couple of years and not necessarily like, oh, and this is what we're going to get out of it. we got to save the world. Like, you know, the planet is suffering. Like we got out of Big Whiskey, that kind of thing. And um, there's there's definitely messages in a lot of these songs. Um, but I I guess I, I just haven't come, come uh, tomorrow <laughs> is what it's called. I haven't gotten to the point where I really feel like I, I understand what the message is. Maybe it's going to take more listens more uh listens to when they play it live um just some in deeper context but uh i want to hear what you thought of the record before we get into like some nitty-gritty with the songs this has been a lot of aj speeches so i'm going to give one more speech tonight and i'm sorry everybody but it's not really a speech that's mine it's actually a speech that is among one of my one of our other friends and uh, and uh, by no, there's no other way to describe him. Another long lost hero, Mr. Max Daniels. So, Max Daniels, I remember back in Music Theory Two, with uh, me, you, and <laughs> Max and Mr. Hansen, that uh, Max's big gripe and really the overall Daniels brother big gripe with the Dave Matthews Band circa 2005-2006 is that the band had moved into much more of a rock and roll kind of sound and a much more of a rock and roll show. Keep in mind, this is before Tim joined. This is before Boyd was kicked out. This is before Rashawn before, joined. This is before Rashawn joined. This is before Leroy died. This is years before 
major changes in the in uh, the Dave Matthews Band would take place. So 2008, you lose Butch Taylor, you gain Tim Reynolds, uh, you lose uh, Leroy Moore, you get Jeff Coffin, and you lose the uh, guiding influence that uh, Leroy Moore had on that band. And now what you have is really a, a much more Dave-driven band, which you can see on uh, Away From The World and The End of Big Whiskey. Uh, and now we're come to a place where Come Tomorrow is now released. And uh, the, the Daniels brother theory has come full circle. Um, they have now lost the driving creative focus of the saxophone. It is now a backup instrument, as well as Rashawn Ross, the trumpetist, a backing sounding guy. I love you, Sean. I think you're a fantastic player and a tremendous instrumentalist, but I was really hoping for you to have some standout lines like Shake Me Like a Monkey. I was hoping for you to have some really incredible, uh, you know, uh, harmonious moments uh, akin to the breakdowns on in, that are found on Away From The World, and I just didn't see that this time. And what I really found is a Dave-centric album that, uh, for the first time, the Dave Matthews Band has released a 1-4-5 blues progression. They've never done that before. Uh, she has the sound and feel of a Soundgarden song. Mm. And you have lost Boyd completely. The, in, the uh, fiddle, the violin sound that at times classed up the Dave Matthews Band uh, melange of instruments uh, and at times broke it down to the more fiddle folkier style sounds is now completely absent so what you kind of have is this clean guitar uh, chord creative uh, presence a kind of muted but not forward uh, brass sound and a really now prominent and uh trying to find its own voice rhythm section of trying to fill the void because this song you know it has a couple nice little solo moments for mr tim reynolds but i don't think this song has any classic eddie van halen guitar solos or slash guitar solos that make their way as earworms onto pop radio and you know i don't know what this album is going to be I still have not received the vinyl. For some reason, it's back-ordered on Amazon. All of them are. Uh, but, motherfucker, I was, ready to, I was ready to process and move on to the next part of this experience. And uh, I'm cur- I don't know what I'm going to think until I get the vinyl because I want to hear it on my system. And I have purchased recently on Amazon both uh, Gro- uh, Big Whiskey and... Uh, and away from the world so I would like I'm definitely going to be re-listening to them very soon and then you know listening to come tomorrow afterward Uh, which isn't to say I didn't like it so I did like it Uh, I just want to see it on tour which is weird because Dave as far as we known him and we've only known him touring for 12 years 13 in your case but so not all the songs you get to see at the Dave show end up on the on the record. And not all the songs on the record end up on tour. <laughs> you know? Totally. And that's a cool thing. Because it keeps you digging. It keeps you joining and jumping through the 
old Dave shows to find out what they're going to do and what songs they're going to play. And that's what's fun about it. Yeah. So I'm sorry about these hiccups. I'm going to get through them very soon. Here, I'll, I'll take it from you. Um, so I agree. I think the album is good. I think it's far from your um, your crash before these crowded streets, busted stuff, um, folksy vibe with, you know, the, the saxophone backup. This feels a lot like, um, in, in some ways, Some Devil, which is Dave's solo album. And so I, again, I... In, in similar fashion to when I prepared for Infinity War, I uh, went through and marathoned all of the albums and all the way back to Remember Two Things. I threw in um, the Lily White Sessions, and I threw in um, Some Devil and the, the bonus disc for Big Whiskey because I kind of always have saw the Little Red Bird four-song disc as an extension of Big Whiskey, and I love those songs. So I really had a lot of the, the the studio recordings in my mind. And, you know, it's interesting, and I haven't really dug deep into the producers on it, but this, this album has a Frankenstein's monster effect of producers. There's like four different producers, and whether whatever track you're on, it's somebody else was involved in it. And I think because, like I said before, it goes back to the fact that some of these songs were written like six uh, or like 12 years ago. And that's crazy. And so whether, I don't think they all were recorded that long ago. I think a lot, most of them were also recorded recently, but you know, not only do you not have Boyd, but you do not have a violin player. Boyd is not on this at all, which I think back to our conversation a couple of months ago when it was announced that he was leaving the band it's like, was he just written out? Did they cut all of his recordings? Were they not that far along? So they like, I don't know. It, that's just so curious to me. It's like, was he not going to be on it at all anyway? It's, there's going to be a behind the, the band kind of commentary years from now. And we're going to know the full story. But um, yeah, I mean, even even Jeff Coffin, who is uh, was very prominent in the last two records, there's just not a lot of saxophone. Um, it's... It is really a Dave focus, and I think that's good in a way because the, the lyrics are beautiful and his vocal lines are great, and the the messages for each song is is pretty clear. Um, and it's they're like I said, they're very mature. I don't think it's like this is Dave Matthews at fifty one. This is not Dave Matthews at thirty five anymore. Like he's a different person now. He's a father. He has different. Um, a different perspective on everything and um but like the the jam bandy qualities and not that we ever were like need it to be a jam band record because like a lot, most of the time studio albums have like pretty concise songs but like a lot of them i just don't see as live and um but you know i just wanted to call out a couple that i really have been digging so far um like i said before can't stop i really love that they they amped up the, the tempo on it i think it it drives it forward and it feels really good um uh she i, I do like she i think um that was one that like bef when i first listened to it the first time caught my attention because um it is a little bit of a harder 
rock song where on an album where everything is really quiet, it, it stands out. And I think it, it makes like an interesting um, trilogy with um, that girl is you first, she in the middle and then idea of you. I think it's kind of a really cool progression of, um, of, of a story of, you know, of Dave kind of wooing a girl in a way. Um, and then idea of you, I think I love the idea that they have a live snapshot and it feels like a memory. Um, like the, the beginning of the song starts and they have a, a snippet of live recording and it transitions into the studio recording. And I think that is such a cool effect that, um, I don't think any other band can really do because, you know, this is a song that was first played live 12 years ago and, you know, it sounds like it did then. And then all of a sudden it's like morphed into this more modern version I think, though, my favorite song on this is Again and Again. Um, and and this was the one that used to be called Bob Law. And I don't really remember it live, but like it just jumps out to me. It's got a really, really great um, chord progression and... Um, just just like the, just the feeling I get from it is is just I can't it's hard to put into words I don't, I don't know why it stands out to me so much but I I really love it I think that to me is a highlight of the record um, I think it's really interesting that it's followed by this this uh, song segue song called BK DK DK DD BK DK DK DD um, which to me calls back a little bit to the the little transitions that we had on before these crowded streets. I don't know why it needs to be its own track. I am also disappointed that it's not like a lead into a bigger song like you have with Pantala into Rapunzel or you have with, um, is it Grux into Shake Me Like a Monkey? Like I wish it was kind of driving ahead instead of being like more of an afterthought. Um, and I guess the only other ones that I want to call out, like I Virginia in the Rain is really growing on me. I think that's a really beautiful song. Um, I think, there's a lot there to like um and so come tomorrow I, it's interesting so obviously the name of the album is come tomorrow there's also a track called come tomorrow it took me a couple of times to really listen to it to really understand it um and i still don't think i do um but like i think the message here is that dave is is old or feels old and he's coming to the point where he doesn't want to to fight the the good fight anymore and he wants to look to the next generation and let them deal with all the problems of the world and that he's ready to kind of rest and um it's a nice song but like it just to me is a little bit weird to have you know and because some of these other songs off big whiskey like were so powerful and the messages were so clear that it's, it feels a little bit like he's giving up i don't know if you got that same vibe um, but like I said, I, those were the, the songs that really jumped out at me. Um, I'm going to keep listening to it. I think it's always great to have new Dave Matthews music. Um, but I can't help but wonder why it's a Dave Matthews band album when the rest of the members feel like they're just supporting cast. I feel you. I feel you, Frank. I feel you. Um, because one of the things I was thinking about this record and one of the things I had kind of wondered about this record knowing that there were so many uh apocryphal dave songs uh out there that you know which ones were going to make the record 
you know, I remember being back in 2008, 2009 when we thought idea of you can't stop shot can't stop shotgun we're definitely going to be on big whiskey and then realizing that none of them were going to be on big whiskey and then uh you know thinking that maybe some of these other songs we had heard at that time bob law uh you know and other songs would be on uh, away from the world and just weren't um it's weird um and i think that ultimately dave is kind of a victim of the time that this album came out and, and I kind of feel bad for him about that. And I wish that maybe it would have changed because if I was ahead of in, or if I was maybe in charge of the marketing decision to put this album out, I maybe would have framed it in a similar way that Radiohead's Amnesiac is framed as, which is an album of Kid A B-sides that is still worthy of your attention and respect. And maybe saying that like, oh, well, this is like a whole bunch of Dave, Dave songs that you haven't heard before and a couple new ones and that you'll see how they're transitioning and what they're doing and like release a little documentary with a DVD, like, like do some, do something to show that this isn't necessarily the next step in the Dave Matthews story, because to me, it it almost feels like, you know, the extended stuff they put in Lord of the Rings to make it sell better to the American audience like, you know, there isn't a ton of Aragorn and Arrowind stuff in the original trilogy. It's added to make it more palatable to the audience. So to add this, these kind of songs that are classics and pop hits and, you know, really catchy, um, but also build them as kind of totally, wholly original new material, I think is a little bit uh, wrong. And I wish that they had kind of framed it in a, in a little bit of a different way. And that uh, they kind of set it up that, oh, wow, this is like the some like this is like a Dave B-side record with a whole bunch of stuff you're going to see on the tour in different ways, in different jams with different outros. And then here is the 20th anniversary edition of Before These Crowded Streets on vinyl with a big box set. And I think that it's interesting that we're we are now six months into uh, 2018 and there is not a goddamn peep about it before these crowded streets vinyl or a reissue or a special edition or a DVD or anything, because I think that they're trying that Dave thinks the only way to move forward is just to produce new content. And I think that now what we're going to see with Dave, and I think that what's going to happen next with Dave Matthews, if I were to think as the day, as the Daniels brothers were to think, which is years ahead, years Mm -hmm. into the future of, what the Dave Matthews band is going to be is I can see that they're going to double back and dial down into what the major movie studios have done is to drill into nostalgia. If the court case with Boyd moves forward, I'm pretty sure they're going to bring in a replacement violin player. Once they do that, they'll be able to play all of the backlog of songs and jams and outros and intros that you're familiar with and that you've seen on tour. Once they get to that point, and if it's even possible, it's there's a potential that Dave will collaborate with this new player and that they'll continue to make songs that maybe sound a bit more harmonically similar to how you're used to. Um, but I would say at this point, agreeing with Frank, that this sounds more like a Dave Matthews solo album than anything else, that it doesn't sound like it's uh, a, a new direction or new songs you're going to embrace and love on the tour 
Like, I remember hearing Dive In for the first time live at SPAC and being blown away. I remember hearing Rooftop at SPAC and being blown away. I remember hearing Alligator Pie and being like, oh, my God, I thought this was a joke. This is fantastic. Yeah. Like, and, and like, really seeing a different experience of the live song. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to withhold my judgment until after I see it live. But at least at this time, at this time and at this moment, um, I- I'm I'm kind of uh, underwhelmed, and I think that uh, the the band is worthy of a better marketing direction, and I hope that you know uh, I can kind of keep listening to this album and keep digging in. I think the only song I've listened to is Bob Law again and again, and. Uh, also, Samurai Cop. I liked Samurai Cop before. I yeah. liked Idea of You before. I like the Idea of You from Live Track 6 at Fenway Park the first night. I think that is probably my definitive. I know all the words to that version. Like, we saw an Idea of... We've seen Idea of You a few times. We've never seen the same Idea of You. What's it going to be like to see this Idea of You? Right. Why is it Shotgun on this record? What about like, Break Free? What about break? What about break? What about cornbread? Like, where are all these other apocryphal songs that have been around that are that are not found in this record? They're mm-hmm. just and I think that something could have been done and something could have been kind of cool to say. Oh, here's all the songs you've been seeing. You know, Joyride. What you know, all those other weird, crazy songs. Yeah, like, there's a a ton of songs that were uh, before Stand Up even came out that were brand new songs that everyone thought were going to be on stand up that weren't like, um, Oh man, I, I'm forgetting my, my, my knowledge is, is weak. There was a ton back then. Anyway, you believe me. Um, round, round, round and round is an apocryphal song we heard. Like there's so many, there's so many apocryphal Dave songs that don't live on an album. And then to have them kind of live on this record is different, and I don't think that they do. I think that this record sounds more like a busted stuff than it does a uh, before these crowded streets. It sounds like an amalgamation of different songs, different themes, different styles. So and- hmm. I don't know if I agree with you on that. I think busted stuff is truly a um, it's a unique beast because it was an album that was written before every day came out because it was pretty much everything on there was the Lily white sessions. I think if that came out in 2000 instead of every day, I think the story would have been totally different. And like you, cause like you have songs like gray street on busted stuff that were a, a staple of the album, like several years before the album ever came out. So I, I don't think that busted stuff was necessarily an amalgamation. I, I think you're right. This one feels like a collection of b-sides i wish they marketed it that way especially because it's been six years since an album came out yeah that's such a long time and like i if they take six more years to to write another one what's gonna be like i would hope that maybe they come out in like two years and it's like and here's like come tomorrow part two with all these other songs that we've been playing that you you want to hear studio recordings of or something like that like or and i think and this might be my last point. I think the biggest thing that I, I come out of this with is that I don't get the vibe that they were all together when they were writing these songs and in, in the studio together, which, which they were for big whiskey. I just, I feel like it was kind of cobbled together at different points and just like, all right, here it goes. Boom. 
because they felt like it's been too long since they had an album and they had to get it out. And so I, I feel you. It doesn't sound like they're in the studio together at all. Yeah. And, and you can really hear that where I hear that is on the intricacies in the fills. There's, there's no there. I think there's one song with a brass fill, right? Like there's, there's not, there's no, the shake me like a monkey brass fills are so good <laughs> that you're like, Oh shit. Rashawn's got this motherfucker. Like, we can, and and you know it from on tour, but even still, like he's a creative genius, you know. And yeah. when you give him the room to write those fills, like, wow, like does it it plus up a song? The like, can you even imagine what it would be like to hear Louisiana Bayou without the Rashawn fills? Like it it would just suck. Yeah, I mean, and that's why a song like that has benefited from so much from being played live because when it was originally written, there wasn't a Rashawn Phil. And so like it didn't pop on the album, but live it's amazing. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, like you said, go ahead. I just, I really, I, I guess in my mind, I thought of this as like the, of Rashawn as Spider-Man and Davis, Tony Stark, that this was going to be Spider-Man homecoming, that it was going to be a time (laughs) to really hear Rashawn. And, to see the way that he's been posting about it online and the way that he's been talking about it, I was really, you know, hoping for the kind of show that he puts on live every night. Like he's, he undoubtedly, he's the, one of the leaders of that band, you know, it's him and Dave and Carter. That's it. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I don't know. I, I was hoping for, um, you know, some, I wanted I wanted more of him. Whether or not we got more of his creative shit is irrelevant. You know, we just didn't get enough Rashawn. Like, give me some, give me some mo, give me some mo. Yeah. Uh. Okay. So that's it. Um. For today, for this week's podcast, which is almost a double, an episode and a half. Yeah. You lucky fuckers. Um. <laughs> it's been a blast. We got to talk talk about a lot. There's some stuff we left out. We still haven't gotten to the Max Daniels letter about Last Jedi. I think we have to have... Uh, I would like to see if we can still do a, a panel with a few other Star Wars fans before the end of the summer. I think that that's something we can do. Um, I will work on getting that together. Um, but yeah, I wanted I want to go over Last Jedi again. I want to go over some of the home video release stuff uh, and dig down into that. But also, we have Jurassic World, which I'm sure we... Uh, want to cover we want to do Incredibles um, and we'll keep going from there on out and if you want to let us know what you think we should be covering please let us know Uh, we're available Uh, you can email at us at info at longlostheroes.net you can find us at LLH podcast on Facebook Instagram and Twitter Um, please give us a rating and review on iTunes it does help us get and reach more people online if you give us a rating review doesn't matter if you give us a, a, a funny review. A funny review is okay, but we really need it to be, uh, you know, positive so that more people can take a listen. I completely agree. Um, thank you so much, everybody. This has been a really great podcast. I, I've enjoyed it. We've covered so many different things. And um, as a side note, I rewatched The Incredibles 1 this past weekend, and that's an amazing movie. And so if you haven't seen it, you should go back and watch it. It's so interesting to see it now. 
after all these other superhero movies have come out in the past like 16 years or 12 or how many it's been since 14 maybe i don't know whatever it is but i'm excited for incredibles 2 i think it's the fantastic four movie we need and deserve i can't wait for a fantastic four movie but that's a whole nother thing anyway thank you everybody uh we will be having another episode in the next couple of weeks and we look forward to hearing your feedback and so i am frank i'm here with my buddy aj and we are out and scene and then this is just an additional bit so i went to the dry cleaner yesterday and i had to go get a suit fitting and, you know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, I have time. I'm here at my apartment. I'll figure out a way to get over there and save time. So I'll go in my dress shoes or my and black socks and I'll put a, a white shirt on over my T-shirt so that when I get there, it'll be real easy to just drop my shorts and, you know, check out the suit. Well, what I thought would impress my dry cleaner just confused the motherfucking shit out of them. And they had no idea what was going on. And I looked like an absolute crazy person. Oh, I pre- I appreciate your laughter. This has been another AJ Sherman bit. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great week. Bye.